You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. But as a black man, if I don't look to part and I don't say things in a certain way, I look like someone who could potentially be perceived as a threat. So even if I am the president and CEO of this organization, that privilege doesn't necessarily follow me in the way that some of my colleagues' titles follows them in the various spaces that they hold. Welcome to the Black Business of Broadway, a podcast brought to you by the Broadway League and Black to Broadway. Here, we highlight the stories, how-tos, and successes of the Black professionals and legends of Broadway. I am your host, Janine Scott. I want to welcome our guest, Broadway League board member, EDI co-chair, president and CEO of the Marcus Performing Arts Center in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Kendra Whitlock Ingram. And joining Kendra today, we have the Ordway Center for Performing Arts newest president and CEO, Christopher L. Harrington. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Janine. Thanks, Janine. I am excited to talk to the both of you. (laughs) Well, both, uh, you are both first in your organization's history. And so what I'd like to do is I want to take you back for a minute. And I'd like for you to share with the audience, how'd you get here? You know, where did your passion for the arts start? What led you into arts administration? And how did you how did you get to where you're at today? All right, I, I can kick it off. Um, I uh, I was a musician, I guess, before anything else. I was a musician, an undergraduate, uh, uh, not to spoiler alert, but like my colleague on the call today, <laughs> we both started out in, in music. I was a, uh, my major was viola. I was planning to be a high school music teacher and um, discovered this behind the scenes world kind of when I was in high school, but um, definitely more so when I was in college. Uh, and I'm like, wow, there's like actual jobs that people get paid to do to like run the arts. Like that sounds like perfect for me. Like that's exactly what I, mm-hmm. I would want to do. I mean, I even thought of my teacher role as that to a certain extent. Yeah, I got into, uh, did a couple internships when I was an uh, undergraduate at Duquesne University in the great city of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, <laughs> and uh, with the Pittsburgh Opera. And then I did a stint with the Texas Music Festival and and discovered this crazy world of orchestra management, actually, which is very si- similar in many ways to commercial theater. Um, 
and spent the first uh, 13 years of my career in, in orchestra management, um, working for orchestras like uh, the Baltimore Symphony and Detroit Symphony, which you, again, spoiler alert, you might yeah. hear <laughs> a reference or you will hear a reference later. Yeah. Um, I actually was one of the, I think I was the first, I think I was the first one in your gig, Chris. I'm pretty sure I was. Um, and then Chris like took it to a whole other level. So, um, but yeah, that's, and that's kind of also how I got into presenting because in my job in Detroit, I was responsible for the non-classical and the non-orchestra shows that happened in orchestra hall and the Max Fisher music center in, in Detroit. So, uh, I, I, uh, got one gig more before I ended up in presenting and in, in with the Baltimore symphony as their vice president and general manager. And, uh, and then headed to Omaha performing arts, which also all the connections, <laughs> Jane, <laughs> um, where uh, my good friend Janine was, uh, head of HR. For a period of time and we got to work together which was awesome and uh yeah and then made this shift um i was kind of always in that number two job uh, -huh. uh you know general manager vp of programming and uh made the shift to running my own shop uh in 2016 uh running the performing arts center at university of denver the newman center started uh in this role which is kind of the job i've always wanted um, something that blends uh, the cultural arts and culture programming as well as commercial and and coming back to a Broadway presenting house, uh, which was really a big driver for me. In March of 2020, a uh, <laughs> memorable and unforgettable period of time to be starting a job as a CEO of a performing arts center. Great, great move right there. Um, which actually it ha it's, it was a great move and it has been. So I'm coming up on two years now. It's borderline uh, hazing, huh, Kendra? It, wow. it totally <laughs> was. I'm like, wow, my orchestra management time, um, of various and sundry crises, um, in the orchestra <laughs> business really prepared me for this in a good way, actually, uh, you know, having experienced having to pivot and having to, you know, really be flexible and nimble in a, in a crisis situation. I, I actually did learn from my orchestra time and I'm sure Chris, you know, knows all about that. Mm -hmm. We've all, <laughs> yeah. you know, had some, you know, orchestra business is a tough business. So here I am. Uh, in enjoying life in Milwaukee and loving the Marcus Performing Arts Center. So, Chris, go ahead. I want to bring you in. Great. No, um, I think that was a great uh, introduction by Kendra, and I'm always inspired by her story. I probably could sum up my career in the fact that I've had to follow some pretty big shoes, you know, particularly <laughs> with her work and her legacy, not only in Detroit, but throughout the industry, but in, in following those uh, big footprints here, um, she's been just an incredible supporter and partner. So I just wanted to thank you publicly, Kendra, mm. Kendra you're a rock star. You're the rock um, star, man. No. You, you took my job and like took it to the next level. Uh, in Detroit. A great inspiration and you provided that foundation. So I appreciate it. Um, so I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan. I actually spent my entire professional and personal um, life there up until recently where I uprooted everything that I knew and moved to St. Paul. But um, you know, I would say just growing up in Detroit, was a very special place. It's always been a hotbed for, for so many different types of uh, music and arts and culture. So if you think about 
jazz and Motown and electronic music, like all these different things that Detroit has exported to the world. I mean, I can't recall a time in my life where the arts haven't been present. Um, so really just, just inspired by growing up in a community where music was always really important. So Kendra sort of alluded to this, but I did grow up, you know, playing piano and keyboard. So music has always been, um, you know, a part of my life. I think about um, my community and even in my family, you know, on car rides, listening to so many incredible artists and cleaning up on Saturday mornings and having just this amazing <laughs> soundtrack to the Saturday morning, you know, cleaning sessions. Um, and then I think back to even my early connections to um, Detroit Public Schools, where I had great experiences, you know, in band and then also had a really amazing teacher. I always like to use her name, Audrey Northington, because I think teachers are mm. unsung heroes mm. and they really um, inform how we move about this world and really mm -hmm. alter the trajectory of our lives. So I always like to bring up that name because in elementary school, she exposed me to jazz and to folk music and to show tunes and all these amazing things. And I didn't know how that would alter the trajectory of my life. So I always have to start back from, you know, the first moment where I got exposed to so many different styles of music. Um, also going on field trips as a kid, you know, to the Fox Theater and to Orchestra Hall and to museums. These are all just a lot of seeds that were planted. Um, so fast forward, you know, 10 years, um, went to Wayne State University, had the pleasure of studying music and business, went back a couple years after that to get my MBA. But I would say the two experiences that ultimately led me here today was I got a part-time gig at the Detroit Symphony Orchestra in their box office, <laughs> which just opened up my world to so many different things that I just never imagined. And then also um, had a really incredible transformative experience with the Detroit International Jazz Festival, where I started as an intern, um, had just this really incredible experience, a really incredible mentor and in Terry Pontremoli, who really just took me under her wing and showed me everything that um, I needed to know about the business. And that was a really important experience because she never treated me like an intern, but it was like, you are my colleague. So really treating you and making you feel like you actually belong was really just um, amazing to me. So longer story, even shorter, you know, you think about all these major cities that have problems and things like that. For me, being at the Detroit International Jazz Festival and being backstage and looking out into the sea of people, imagining that there's a, a podcaster sitting next to an executive sitting next to you know, a banker sitting next to a lawyer and regardless of all those things that separate us, so your socioeconomic status, your religion, your faith, all those things that are perceived differences, everybody was on the same page for that 90 minute set. And I knew from that moment that this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I didn't know that it would be this, <laughs> but that ultimately led me going back to the DSO and working in various roles there for marketing and programming, um, following Kendra's uh, footsteps, following in Kendra's <laughs> footsteps, but being able to um, really collaborate with an amazing team there to um, to really bring people together from all walks of life, again, to, to advance the mission of the DSO um, at that particular point in time. Um, and then, you know, fast forward, I actually started here at the Ortway Center for the Performing Arts, and it really is a dream gig, walking into a community that has such um, a rich legacy of presenting so many different styles of the performing arts. So Broadway is really big here. We have a robust education program and then also um, a myriad of concerts that have been produced here. And there's a lot happening in this community. So being here at this particular time in our country and being able to lead an organization with a fantastic team and also an incredibly um, supportive board, it's, it's a dream. And I'm really honored to be here to share this space with you all today. Awesome. Well, thank you both. Thank you both. So you have shattered 
the glass ceiling, okay? <laughs> and um, and it said that, you know, you shatter the glass ceiling, but now we're all on this glass cliff, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And so uh, can you talk to me or talk to us about what support systems that you have in place to ensure your professional organizational successes? Mm. Well, I'll tell you, I think coming into this job in COVID in some ways was one of the best things that could ever happened to me as a CEO because this whole shift to Zoom and online, I have made friends with people that I had never met until like a month or two ago. People from all around the country. Uh, a lot of people in our business, on the commercial theater side, um, other CEOs at other performing arts centers. Um, it's just been amazing to have, like, now I feel like I have this whole squad mm-hmm. of people that I can reach out to. Now, my good friend, to uh, Chris here, he and I have always, you know, we've had a, a long relationship um, of colleagues and, you know, just... Uh, like someone you can like reach out to. Um, and of course you too, Janine, I count you in that, that <laughs> category, but I really feel like um, the pandemic kind of created new relationships. And honestly, the murder of George Floyd created new relationships for, for me as well. Like people that frankly, we, you can just vent to mm-hmm. um, that, I don't remember doing that quite in that way before this. I don't know how you feel about, like if that was the same for you, Chris, or not. Yeah, it's interesting. I never really thought about it that way, but I remember um, we were all on lockdown and everybody was forced to witness this, this murder. But I remember the week that followed and I think people saw and respected our perspectives in a way that had never occurred, at least in my professional career. Mm-hmm. So I think about, um, the the probably 50, 60, 70 hours just on the phone, yeah. listening, you know, um, speaking, providing our perspectives, um, being there for our staffs. And again, I, I feel like what I was saying was actually heard in a different way than it had been prior to that. And it's unfortunate yeah. that it took that happening, but right. I see that happening not only, you know, on a micro scale, but just on a macro level as well, where people are definitely a little bit more in tune to the inequities that have been around since, you know, at least the last 400 years, right? Um, on so many different levels, but I had never really thought about it like that. Um, so thank you for highlighting that, Kendra. Just in terms of um, my, my support systems, I, I would say that I've been really intentional as a connector to building relationships. And I think those have been strengthened sort of over the pandemic mm-hmm. and being able to rely on folks and calling, again, having the opportunity to meet you during the pandemic, Janine, and then also being able to rely on Kendra and others, um, you know, mentorship has always been a really important part of my life and is really another reason why I'm here today. I think about um, our past didn't cross at the DSO, Kendra, but I think about um, a mentor that we actually share, oh, yeah. Ann Parsons, oh, um, who's one of the greatest to the ever greatest. do it. And, yep. An innovator, a trailblazer, and talk about, you know, shattering glass ceilings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think about um, me learning directly from Ann, and Ann actually said, you need to meet Kendra. Like, this is someone who you need to meet. <laughs> you reach out to her when you're in New York. She That is the greatest compliment I could ever have because she, she is so special. I mean, there's yeah. so, like, there are people that you try to stay in touch with 
mm-hmm. you know, and it's hard when everyone gets busy, especially when we're in kind of different businesses now. Yeah. But she is one that like, even now that she's retired, yeah. I, I will still reach out to her. <laughs> well, absolutely. And talk about a support system when you just have all these people on speed dial, she will always make time to respond. Always. And sometimes people will say that, but in, you know, the most unique situation, she's always been there and she's always responded yep. and always willing to give her time. So just seeing that model um, has been great. Mm-hmm. So having professional um, support systems there, informal, um, I would say my wife has also been really supportive mm-hmm. of me during this time. Um, so I, I consider that to be a really key part of my support system. And then I think the other thing that we don't often talk about publicly, but it's been a tremendous help to me is the, the idea of coaching and having an executive coach yep. that mm-hmm. I've worked with over the past decade. And it's something that I always share with people who I have the opportunity and the privilege of mentoring. It's a great investment. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that I would be here today without sort of the confluence of all of those things. It's having the formal and informal systems in place, but also really investing in yourself um, to have that executive coach or whatever you need in order to to make sure that you show up and that you can present your best self, um, but having the tools and the resources. So I always like to to mention that in this context. It's great. Yeah. So Kendra, as a woman, you know, we have that added pressure to outperform and to perpetually prove ourselves, mm. you know, for for fear of being judged more harshly than mm-hmm. some of our counterparts, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But as a black woman, Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. you have that added stereotype and trope of being strong Mm. and being the strong Mm -hmm. black woman, the superwoman who can endure everything. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost like we're we're supposed to be made out of Teflon. Right. Yep. so, well, first, you know, let me let me ask one. Do you have you ever felt those pressures and then. You know, rather real or Mm self-imposed, you know, walking in an organization that that is primarily a traditional organization historically, you know, and and being a non-traditional type of person. Because when we say executive director, president of a performing arts organization, unfortunately, when we close our eyes, we don't see anyone who looks like you, me or Chris. Very few. So um, how have you. How have you navigated that way of thinking for yourself? Mm-hmm. I mean, and and for others, and because of the because of the 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 things the ideals that get imposed upon you just based on that trope. You know, uh, this is this is such a important topic because it's a lot of it is self imposed. You know what you just described of like you know being hard as nails and like being able to endure and have feeling like that feeling of I need to be the best. Um, That's also a little bit my personality. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's good or bad. We share that. We do share that. My my mom is like, why do you put so much pressure on yourself? I think my mother has been saying, my white mother, by the way, um, I'm biracial. My dad's black. My mom's white. And she's like, why do you put so much pressure on yourself? I'm like, yeah, it's just, that's who I am. But, um, I think it's interesting, you know, I never really felt this until I was in the CEO role and, and more so here than in my previous job, which was a smaller organization. Like the, I am very self-conscious about how I do present. Like I do, I am very, I I really try to be thoughtful about not being overbearing or not being 
Like I really fo- like think about, I don't want to be perceived as the B or the angry black woman. Yeah, or the angry black woman. Um, <laughs> and, and the funny thing is I've been in so many meetings with mostly white male colleagues who are in a similar position. And I feel like they could say whatever they want. Like they can like, they can be hardcore. They can be, well, I don't care what anybody thinks. I literally heard someone say, well, I'm not trying to make friends here. And I'm like, if I said that, there's no way I could get away with saying that. Um, And there's no way Chris could get away with saying that. Not at all. Not at all. Um, And I just, I was on a call not too long ago where this came up and I was just like, I got off that call and, and, you know, talking about our spouses um, as support systems, I was telling my husband this. I'm like, I I can't do that. I have to like actually, not only can I not do that, yeah. I actually have to like, oh, I really understand how you feel and let me like empathize with you. And like, even when someone says something sexist or racist, literally racist, I've never really felt that way until I've been in the number one job particularly in programming or in the GM job, you could mm-hmm. kind of be, I, I was definitely a much more um, Kendra. Mm-hmm. And now I have to be Kendra, who's also the leader. Um, but there's really no time when you're not Kendra, the CEO of the market mm-hmm. center. And that right. has been, a, that is something that I've, I'm still trying to work on. And I've, I've talked a lot about and Chris, I, I'm curious about you now. Yeah. November one. Yeah. yeah so it's okay. been a little over three months now. You know, I want to be my authentic self. And I feel like Mm -hmm. I am. Like, I don't feel like I'm putting on airs at all. It's interesting, um, Kendra, as you talk about being in meetings and in different spaces. And it's a a form of kind of censoring yourself. And there's like this internal dialogue. Mm -hmm. And like, it's happening, you know, in real time, right? It's almost like these programs that are running. It's like RAM, right? You know, something is always running in the background yeah. of your computer. And it's interesting that you, you have to show up and how you, um, how you, how you present and what you say, everyone's watching, everyone's yes. always watching. So there's sort of this emotional drain. And, you know, at the end of the day, I am the president and CEO of the Orway Center for the Performing yeah. Arts. And again, that title comes with a certain level of responsibility, but also one title that I can't take off if I go to that familiar restaurant or one that right. no one will know me is that at the end of the day, I am a black man mm-hmm. showing up in these spaces every single 100%. day. So there are certain things that impact me more. Um, I even think back to, we talked about George Floyd earlier today. I think about Amir Locke, who was just murdered here yes. in the Twin mm-hmm. Cities just a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, it just, it, it, it impacted me more than I thought it would. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how do you show up for your staff when you have to be that leader and when you have to go in and you have to get the business done? But at the end of the day, I have a younger brother who's 22. So it just kind of like hit me in a way mm. that I didn't expect. So um, it's like, how do you show up as your full self, but also be that leader that, you know, dozens and dozens and even hundreds of folks are relying on you to be there. So that's where I think going back to that support system where you can just pick up the phone and call someone and be able to just say, hey, I need to talk right now. So I think it's really important to have that, that squad that you all referred mm-hmm. to earlier today mm-hmm. that you can rely on. But again, I think being able to have open and honest conversations like this with your staff, and I actually have done so um, in the past week, just saying like, this is how I'm feeling today or thinking about this, or um, I often talk about the privilege that comes along with our titles. Mm -hmm. And I know Mm -hmm. that this makes Mm -hmm. some people uncomfortable. So even in leadership positions at the DSO and now being in this role, 
my title carries a certain level of privilege when I'm in those four walls where that title is respected. Yes. Mm -hmm. But as a black man, if I don't look to part and I don't say things in a certain way, I look like someone who could potentially be perceived as a threat. So even if I am the president and CEO of this organization, that privilege doesn't necessarily follow me in the way that some of my colleagues' titles follows them in the various spaces that they hold. So Mm. it's something that's it's always kind of these, this this constant tension that's there. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I think being able to um, really focus on the work, being able to really rely on that support system and really centering yourself on your why and the role that you're there to do. And at the end of the day, I got into this business because I know the power of the performing arts to bring people together from all walks of life. And I think if we can kind of get over those things that separate us and to connect as human beings, I'll just tell a quick story. A couple of weeks ago, um, we pre- were presenting one of the shows on our Broadway series. And before you know the show starts, I'll sometimes go out and do top of show of announcements. But during intermission, I had an opportunity to um, you know meet a bunch of folks, right? And there was this young man, let's just say he looked nothing like me. <laughs> Actually, I'll just say it. He was a young white male, uh-huh. um, probably six years old, had on this really cool Spider-Man mask. So I walked up to him <laughs> and I said, man, that is a really cool mask. And he was like, oh, thank you, right? And then the next thing he said is, my name is Chris, too. Oh! And it just, right. I so love it's just it. like connecting yes. on a human level. And I think that's the power of the arts. Because yeah. again, I'm not sure that that interaction would have happened anywhere else. And you just never, I know how how much of a profound impact that that had on me. Yeah. And the fact that I'm telling this story today. So I hope that it had a profound impact on him or it will be realized in the future that right. leadership comes in all different styles and yes. and people from all walks of life. So the fact that he saw me probably on stage or my photo in the program, yes. you just never know how that's right. going to impact someone's life, regardless of what your race or your ethnicity is. So I just hope that we can have more connections as human yeah. beings so we can overcome a lot of those perceived differences. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Last November, November 2021, in the Harvard uh, Business Review, they wrote a they wrote an article titled "What Do Black Executives Really Want?" Mm. And in it, it stated companies are prioritizing diversity, equity, and inclusion as never before. Mm-hmm. Talking about it, making it public, strategic hires, and putting metrics in place to track progress. And yet, according to in depth interviews uh, and focus groups that they that they ran. Many are still struggling struggling to create environments in which Black professionals feel they can thrive. And I feel like that's mm-hmm. exactly what we've been talking about. So how do you 
one, how do you create that environment where you're at right now? And then what are you doing to help center those voices for those pro- so, so that those professionals have long-term success? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a tough one. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've said this a number of times about the Marcus Center, but, and, and Chris, and I think we talked about this when you were yeah. considering this job at Ordway, uh-huh. you know, we report to boards. Um, so we're all nonprofit um, and we have volunteer board and my boss is the board and the board chair. And I would not have taken this job if I didn't, like I've learned now, definitely through my experience as a number two, <laughs> what, like how important that board CEO relationship is and knowing that I have a board who's going to kind of be aligned with my vision for the organization. I feel like that's like a big piece of it for at least for the black executive. Um, mm-hmm. Because if you don't have that, it doesn't matter how, much quote unquote, you know, control power we have in these roles as CEO, or even how much our staff might be um, feeling the support. If we don't have the support of the, you know, governance of the organization and really have them believe it, uh, I think it's impossible. And actually, I know a lot of our white colleagues who have to do it, you know, but they walk in a different space. I think to Chris's point earlier, um, like they can kind of, oh, I'm going to put my ED at, I hat on now. And then now I'm going to go hang with my board members who are, you know, or my donor or whomever that really doesn't align with my, this ideology at all. So like, there's no turning it off per se. So I feel like, you know, having a, a good board leadership that believes that really believes and wants to support that is like. of the battle. You know, I can't manage this on my own. And I don't want people to think that the biracial black woman is the one who's like, this is her thing. And it's only her Mm -hmm. thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, Chris, I'm sure not to speak for you, but I'm sure you've had that. Oh, so he should be the head of EDI. Um, Well, no, actually. Thank you for sharing that, Kendra. And I think it's it's spot on and having alignment with the board chair. That's a partnership that is critical to the success of the organization. Um, so I actually got that advice. Um, thank you. And it's one that's working out really well. Um, awesome. Have an incredible board and incredible yeah, board chair and vice chair um, awesome. who's really serious about this work. So it's really good to walk in an environment. And that was actually, you know, even during the interviewing process, you know, I showed up and said, like, this is who I am. These yes. are the things that are really important to me. And just making sure that there was a, a value, um, alignment and values, which I think is really important. Sometimes you can espouse something publicly. But if it's incongruent with those things that you know are part of your value system, people can feel that it's it's palpable, yes. right? So yeah, having that alignment I think is great. And then um, again, getting people across the organization to to embrace it I think is really important. Sometimes it's uncomfortable, and I think everyone you know as human beings we don't like to you know sit in things that make us feel uncomfortable, right? It's so easy to pun and say, oh, we're going to deal with that next week, or we don't want to feel bad about it. Um, I think if the work is done right, not that we want to torture people, but I think we have to have these courageous conversations mm-hmm. if we're really doing the work right. Um, you know, I don't say this to to be flip at all, but sometimes, you know, when I'm in conversation with with my board and even my staff to a certain extent, I, w- I always have to remind them that the Ordway Center for the Performing Arts hired me to be the chief executive officer. Mm. 
Na, the chief diversity officer. Yes. <laughs> I recognize, Say it again. Say it again. <laughs> I, I recognize that this particular role has to champion EDI efforts in order for it to really be viewed as a priority throughout the organization. So yes, I will champion it. It's at my core. Um, again, I don't see work in EDI separate from your strat plan or your business plan. It has to be connected. It has to be you know, top down, bottom up, mm -hmm. omnidirectional. It has to literally permeate every area of your organization. It has to be a part of your DNA. Um, it's a moral imperative, not just a trend. So right. I always have yeah. to just say that, you know, and this isn't, I, I respect, you know, all the chief diversity officers out there. So I just want to make sure that I'm not getting that twisted. But yes, and we have one of the best. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the best. exactly. The best. <laughs> the best. We can make this so all about the Janine Scott Hour. Like seriously, because I know that you're doing incredible work. And I appreciate that. But I think sometimes when you're the only one in the room mm. and the topic of EDI comes up, everyone's eye sort of shifts to... You yes. Know, one person of color in the room. And again, I, I embrace the role. You know, I signed up for this. So I understand, you know, the responsibility that comes along with with having these multiple sort of identities of sort and showing up as a leader of an organization, but also showing up as a black man, you know, in a predominantly white institution and world and industry. Right. So I recognize mm -hmm. all those things. But again, it's it's something that I really try to center as part of our leadership team meetings. And it's something that we talk about every single week. Um, I think it's just as important as balancing the budget. Cause again, it's all connected Yep. and it can't just be this pretty little thing that you pull out of the closet when, when you can accessorize your outfit and it actually matches. And then, you know, the moment that you can't fundraise for it or it doesn't fit, you know, whatever you're pitching at the time, you can kind of put it back. So just making sure that it's um, Kendra, you talked about this, earlier in terms of taking your EDI hat off and putting it back on. Some people don't have the luxury of taking the hat off yep. or not viewing it through the EDI lens, right? Mm -hmm. It's something that, you know, it's just, it's there. So yeah, we have a lot of work to do, but I think being able to just kind of center it and make it, making it a, a real priority and having those actions in alignment with those things that you're espousing publicly is, is really key to, um, to seeing the, the change that I think we all want to see. I think these are the conversations that everyone needs to hear mm -hmm. because I think one, it's reaffirming to people who look like us or people who are typically marginalized or shut out or not in those rooms. Yeah. It's like, okay, it, it's not just me, you know? So it, it gives you some sort of like, all right, I can do this. Mm -hmm. And there's some sort of relatability and knowing that you're not by yourself, even in those moments when you feel like you're by yourself, mm -hmm. right? But then on the flip side, I think it's good for those others to know what it is that we go through because they'll never they'll never they'll never have to live in our skin. Mm -hmm. So they don't know what it's like to feel like you have to speak or perform for for everyone black. Like you have to represent the entire black delegation, <laughs> right. you know, when you walk in, when you walk in the room, right? It's uh, real. So real. real. So I mean, real. so so I think it's good. I think it's good on both sides because there's something that can be learned. And I just hope that we get to a point where we don't have to be the first and yes. you know, mm -hmm. it's an opportunity for this just to be the norm. Yes. That's that's my hope. And again, it's not for for lack of for lack of skill. I mean, we've been developing bodies of work in our respective spaces for for decades now. But that idea of working twice as hard or you have to be twice as good, I mean, I think it's ingrained, and I'll always speak for myself, ingrained in my mind. And there's like this sort of 
this loop that's probably in your subconscious where you feel like you have to prove yourself. Yes. But I think we all have it all that we we need to kind of figure it all out. And we bring incredible skills to, to the table. So I think it's just the opportunities um, that haven't necessarily been given to us at the same level of some of our other counterparts. So in the business, but that's changing. And I hope the work that all of us are doing, um, you know, with mentoring and the work that we do in our daily work, but also outside of our professional life and really expanding pathways and and inspiring others to kind of explore this. Because I think, you know, we often talk about representation being important. I'll say, I shared earlier about experiences I had growing up in my elementary school, but I didn't know that you can be, you know, the president and CEO of a nonprofit organization mm -hmm. and make a really great living mm -hmm. or, you know, be the EDI director of the Broadway League. And it's all these different, mm -hmm. you know, um, career paths that you don't necessarily hear about when you're growing up, but the fact that they can now see people who look like them in roles like this, you just never know how that's going to impact someone's life. So in the same way that I've been inspired by people like Kendra and mm -hmm. Janine, we had a great conversation and I walked away so pumped and inspired mm -hmm. when we met um, in New York. But I think about all of my mentors and people who grew up from the neighborhoods that I grew up in, seeing them excel to the highest level in their field, saying like, Hey, if if they can do that, I can do that. So I hope in being in this role, they said, well, if Chris Harrington can do that, then I can do that. And that's part of why I'm here too. It's much bigger than, than me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But at the end of each podcast, uh, we like to ask our guests uh, one final question. And it is, what one piece of advice would you like to share with the future Black leaders mm. of Broadway? Mm -hmm. I think... And, and this is actually a really good way to to uh, end this conversation because, you know, one thing we didn't talk about is why we decided to actually mm -hmm. come to the CEO role, right? Right. And I would say to future Black leaders in Broadway, don't be afraid to take that number one job. You know, don't be intimidated by, oh, I'm not qualified enough or am, am I ready or, you know, I've not done that before. And I feel like I've talked to so many people about why do you think you're not ready? Like, do you, you don't have the experience? Well, no, I, I kind of have the experience. Okay. Uh, you don't have the education? No, I definitely have the education. Okay. Um, well, then what's holding you back? And I had this moment myself. And it, I, I, there's so many times, like even, even on my hardest day, um, in this job, I'm like, why didn't I do this sooner? Like, I really wish I had done this sooner. My goal is now to really get, um, our black and brown folks in that C-suite, um, CEO, CFO, chief mm -hmm. operating, chief advancement officer in the nonprofit sphere, on the commercial side, producer, um, general management, um, theater owners. We need some theater owners, like people who are really decision makers, who are um, truly in charge and, and not feeling a f like now that maybe the opportunities might be a little more available, like let's, let's take them. Um, and, you know, in the Performing Arts Center world, the consortium of Performing Arts Centers, we're starting a fellowship this year. Uh, it's actually just, we just announced our first cohort, which is very exciting. Specifically meant to get more people of color 
into the C-suite. Chris is hosting um, a fellow. Um, I'll be hosting a fellow in, in Milwaukee. And, and most of these folks are people who, who are ready to take the gig, frankly. Um, they just need the network. Uh, and frankly, someone to tell them, you know, you should be doing this job, right? Yeah. <laughs> like you could be doing my job. You know yeah. that, right? Um, and I just wish more people would like think of that in a serious way. Um, because as Chris said, you know, it's not only about, you know, influencing the field and building something that we're passionate about and, and growing it, but it's also about wealth building. And it's about um, also having a voice beyond just your organization, um, which I've been very grateful to the Broadway League, frankly, to, um, you know, uh, bring me onto the board and have a leadership role on the EDI committee. Um, you don't know how much you can influence um, from this seat. Um, and it's, I, like I said, I wish I had done it sooner. Before I give my advice, I'll just say being relatively new in an official capacity to the Broadway world, I'm just really appreciative um, and grateful for the the warm welcome to this community um, in New York, you know, from the both of you also with our staff here at, at the Ortway and just really bringing me in and inviting me in. It's been um, an incredible, immersive experience. So very grateful for that and just wanted to preface my comment with that. I guess if I, if I had to give advice to future Black leaders in Broadway, um, this isn't earth shattering by any means, but I think it's how the world works, particularly in this space, is that you have to find a good mentor mm -hmm. who will hopefully turn into a sponsor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you're lucky, that sponsor turns into a friend and that trifecta is just the best of all worlds, right? And then Kendra talked about this earlier, but I would just say, um, surround yourself with people who will tell you the truth, yes. even when you don't wanna hear it. <laughs> Again, I think you need those sponsors and mentors who are going to affirm what you already know and just give you that boost of confidence. But you also need someone to call you out or call you up, you know, when you're doubting yourself, saying that, hey, you have the chops. You've been, you know, yes. planning for this day and this moment for your entire life. So, like, what are you afraid of? Yes. Right. And I'll just say now, having taken the plunge, there are, are beautiful things on the other side of fear. Mm. And, mm. you know, it's just it's been a great experience. And. Yep. I think that's where, where your growth is, is, is outside of your comfort zone. So on those days where you're starting to, to doubt yourself, um, I think you just have to rely on your support system and have people like Janine and Kendra in your life. Um, and yeah, if I can just offer that again, I can probably go on and on and on, but I should probably <laughs> just say that and what Kendra said. Well, okay. I, I got to just uh, put a big exclamation yeah. point on a really important point you made, which is having a mentor and having a sponsor. Um, I cannot, like, I didn't really even understand what that meant until yeah. like probably the last two years. And I'm going to call out one of your previous guests, um, mm -hmm. Colleen Jennings Rogensack, yeah. who a hundred percent has been that person to me. Mm -hmm. um, she it lifts people up. And not just in a way that's like, oh, this will be good for you and your career and whatever, but like, you know, yeah, you should be doing a leadership role. Yeah, you should be, you know, mm -hmm. like a peer to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I didn't really understand how important it was to have someone to sponsor you um, really until I've experienced that directly. And, and Colleen has really done that for me. Um, and some people are afraid of that. Like I've, 
you know, mentors who like, they kind of like always like that. You're going to be my, I'm going to be your mentor and you're a mentee. And that's the way it'll (laughs) always be, no matter what you're, where you are in your career. And I think those relationships should evolve. Um, And I, I really, I just wanted to emphasize that Chris, because you, you, it's such a good point you made. Um, And there might be some folks who are like me um, two years ago who didn't know that there's a difference. Yeah, and that they thought maybe that's what my mentor is supposed to do, and that's not always what a mentor is going to do for yeah. you. Um, and so I just want to thank you for bringing that point up. Well, I want to thank both you, Kendra, and Chris for joining us today and talking with us about the Black business of Broadway. I want to thank our guests and you, our listeners. You could have been doing anything else, but you chose to spend your time with me, and I am grateful. Be sure to subscribe at bpn.fm slash bbb so you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, tell a friend. I'm your host, Janine Scott, and we at the Broadway League hope you enjoyed this episode of The Black Business of Broadway. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.